0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Proto Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host for the day, Michael. Here with Matt. Say what up to the people, Matt. What's going on? What's going on? It's good to be here. Yeah, as you guys have likely deduced in the first eight seconds or so, Tim is not here. I'm the one hosting today. Tim had some uh, some fatherly and uh, pregnant wife, husbandly duties to take care of. Last minute, he had his uh, like he had all his segments set up and everything ready to go but he had to bow out at the last minute so it's me and matt today um thank you guys for listening heading into week 11 now through now through 10 weeks of the season i don't know about you matt but i feel like it's a it's flying by this this year too quick too quick Boy. for sure yeah and as always this podcast is brought to you by the fantasy football by broto app if you have not downloaded it yet you are you're honestly making yourself a worse fantasy player by not downloading it. And I'm not even just trying to toot our own horn, but like, any there's just so many things on the app that you could use to, from player cards to stats to true matchup rank, to uh, <clears throat> true values to all the articles. And look, one I tweeted about this. One little uh sneak peek. One pro tip for true matchup rank. If you go to the, if you go to true matchup rank and you look at all teams, not only do you see their true matchup rank, but you see the the uh they're ranking in points per game allowed. So you get to see the difference between teams who who have been playing better than expected and worse than expected, but have been but it, it's because of the matchups. Like teams who have played Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, and such, they seem like they're worse against tight ends, but they're not because they've played more difficult tight ends. And it's really just it's like a cheat code. Um like Dak Prescott a couple weeks ago against the Chicago Bears seemed like a bad matchup on the surface, but they were in the middle of the pack in, um, in true matchup rank because they've played such bad opponents this year. And Dak Prescott had himself a nice day that week. So things like that is just right there at your fingertips for free on, on, uh, Apple phones, on Androids, like on tablets, however you want to access it, it's all there for you. So it's everywhere. Yeah. Go ahead and download the fantasy football by Brodo app. With that being said, Matt, you know, I know Tim likes to go into, the more of the nitty gritty, but I like to keep it a little, a little more low key. But with that being said, we are going to dive straight into the news and notes of the day. We have uh, some tough ones, but let's uh, let's dive right into it with Donnie H here. Um, beginning with Cooper Cup, Matt. Huh. In my home Sorry. league, my home league, I lead the league in points. I'm in third place because of some close losses. I have Cooper Cup and Jamar Chase on the team. And I'm ready to to about punch a wall. Really, uh, Cooper Cup, the prognosis is not a not a broken leg or anything of that sort. Um, He's been diagnosed with a high ankle sprain. Yeah. And but the prognosis doesn't look good because high ankle sprains are not great. Um, People have typically sat out for four to eight weeks um, and the Rams are three and six this year. Look, Matt, I don't, I don't really know what to say to Cooper Cup managers. There's, there's nothing you can really do about it, right? Yeah, I
1: mean, at this point, certainly not like a drop candidate. I mean, Terrell Owens played on a broken leg in the Super Bowl, so like guys can come back. But with the Rams, like you said, at three and six, there's not really a reason to force him back either, um, unless they go on a tear while he's out and and just bang off four wins in a row. Um, or something of that nature. It's tough. It, you might not see him again for the fantasy season at all. Like that, yeah, just it, is what it is. And
0: it's just a brutal loss. I mean, look, because it's, John... it's week
1: eleven, right? So four yeah. weeks puts him at like the earliest possible comeback puts him at week fifteen, which is one week into the or the start of the playoffs, rather. Um, yeah, with the extra game this season.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. So it's it's tough. It's looking like he might not be back for your teams at all.
0: And John Wolford is so bad that Cooper Cup had uh, three receptions for negative one yards before the injury. But prior to this week, Cooper Cup was just continuing what he was doing last season. Like he, he had not a single game outside the top 24 receivers, several top five finishes was just the like shoe in for a top two wide receiver every single week. And now all that goes down the drain. Um, Just a brutal, brutal loss. This is one of the, one of the bigger injuries that you could possibly have. Like it's, there's not much else you could say about it except damn. And hopefully for Cooper cup managers and for Cooper cup, he's able to come back near the end of the season, maybe play week 14, 15, something of that sort and uh, get back to being Cooper cup. But I mean, let's all hope Cooper cup managers that the Rams start winning games because there's no need to rush him back. If they're three and 10 um, next up, Jerry Judy left the game with an injury, an ankle injury, they said he's day to day with the ankle injury and it's a mild ankle sprain. I'm a little surprised about that since he got hurt almost in the first, maybe in the first drive, I think. And he was out for the game. So I'm a little surprised they're calling it a mild ankle sprain. Like, look, I'm no NFL athlete, but I've had a mild ankle sprain in the past. And I'm just like, I'll play through it at the park. Like, so I'm a little, I'm a little surprised, um, but I guess we'll see. And maybe they're downplaying it a little bit. I think it's very interesting. Oh, that's I think what I we- think as well. Yeah, I think we really got to pay attention to the, um, to the, uh, the injury reports for Wednesday and Thursday, but if Jerry Judy gets in a limited practice on Friday and is a game time decision, would you feel comfortable putting him in your lineups? Or you think, I mean, I
1: don't feel comfortable putting in a completely healthy Jerry Judy <laughs> into my lineup at this point in time, but I, yeah. I do think he's the best receiver on that offense.
0: Yeah. I mean, he has been, uh, the best recently, um, Uh, Next up, Mark Andrews has a really good chance to play in Week 11. When have we heard this before? Um, (laughs) Especially from the Ravens. Yeah, and it's becoming really uh, like Rashad Bateman's injury wasn't supposed to be that bad, and then bam, he's out the season. Um, It's been very – like Mark Andrews really opened the season really strong, um, but he's had now these injuries happening, and it's been tough for Mark Andrews' managers. Let's hope he comes back and is actually – healthy this time around but I think Isaiah likely would be a again a streamable option um, if Mark Andrews is for as long as Mark
1: Andrews is out for sure and that might be another narrative as to why they won't rush Andrews back unless he's fully 100% um, in these you know narratives of he's likely to play or has a good chance I, I don't know that that's as confident as I would like with another situation where they don't have a plug and play start starting tight end already in Isaiah likely
0: yeah I agree with you um, Andrew Dalton, Saints fan here. Matt, not an absolute yes that he will be the starting quarterback this coming week. Apparently, Dennis Allen told reporters that he is n- he has not made a decision at quarterback. Ever since we started calling him Andrew Dalton, he had that one big game and then has come crashing back down to earth and reminded everyone, guys, I'm I'm Andrew Dalton. I'm not like some uh, some star quarterback. As it's a Saints fan. Yeah. As a Saints fan, how are you feeling about this? Do you want Jameis Winston? And and for yes. fantasy. Yeah, I want James. As well. I,
1: I've said this as, as before, um, even with you know Dalton's kind of like big game. Um, Jameis is capable of, of that, and Jameis is capable of these bad games as well. So I don't think the fantasy outcome is that different. It's still the Chris Olave show as far as serviceable receivers that you want to start on the Saints offense. Can't really trust Jarvis Landry right now. Obviously, you're not going to have Michael Thomas and all of the other options are jags. Um, so yeah, you can still feel okay starting Chris Olave, regardless who's under center, I think. But yeah. other than that, it's going to be this a very similar outcome. Like the the pick that they gave the Eagles is going to be top five.
0: Yeah. And the only thing I'd say is that if you have Alvin Kamara, you want and Andy Dalton to remain the quarterback because Jameis Swinson just does not throw the ball to Alvin Kamara. I think there's been a big enough sample size to to really show that it's just not good not for Kamara. When Jameis sure. Winston, yeah, is that quarterback? Zach Ertz' unfortunate injury kind of revived his career over the past two seasons with Arizona. Injured his knee and he will be out for the remainder of the season. Trey McBride, if I'm not mistaken, I'm like 90 percent sure that you. I mean, you've been on, you've been in on him as like a dynasty stash at his current value. Um, you know, there's yeah,
1: I mean he was he was my top ranked tight end as far as the rookies are concerned, and obviously Dulcich and, and Isaiah likely are putting that to rest um by their you know consistent production in in the roles that they've been given, where Trey McBride has been a backup to Zach Ertz, but now he finally gets that opportunity. Um, and it's a role that Kyler supported Dan Arnold as a tight end one in multiple weeks, Max Williams as a tight end one for multiple weeks before both of them got hurt with knee injuries as well, which is like and then obviously has a great rapport with Zach Ertz. And I think out of those three options, Zach Ertz is the most talented, but people shouldn't be discounting uh, Trey McBride. Certainly since, you know, the dynasty perspective is what I bring. I'm unfortunately excited um, because I I do think Trey McBride is a, is a very, very good tight end.
0: Yeah. um, I mean, he's definitely super athletic and the Cardinals have shown that they, they want to get their tight end involved Um, a little bit away from the fantasy landscape, but Tredavious white kind of in the fantasy landscape because Tredavious White apparently is still not in a position where he's ready to play. And the reason I bring this up is because Justin Jefferson just absolutely babied the Buffalo Bills um, yep. several times, <laughs> made one of the more impressive catches we've ever seen. And uh, I think they could really use Tredavious White back, but that's not really a fantasy segment. I just wanted to throw that in there. Another one, this one was, I think it just shocked everyone. I don't think there was a single person out there that wasn't shocked when Eno Benjamin, I was shocked, shocked, like, dude, what? And there's like, like Roto World. We use the Roto World news feed to go through the news and notes. They don't have they don't even have a blurb. I don't think anyone understands the cut like, you know, Benjamin, I feel like if something doesn't come out within the next two days that he said something to someone or something happened behind the scenes or. I don't know, he got into some like some issues. Outside of the football field, I it just doesn't really make any sense to me. He's he was the starter when James Connor was out, and he played admirably. Like he's been a pretty decent backup for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, and it was it's strange. Like I I understand that the maybe they're valuing the roster position more because Jonathan Ward's coming off IR and he's a special teamer, and you know doesn't really play special teams. they must like Keontae Ingram, I guess, who's looked horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it really just like that's it. That's the only logic I can attach to it, and that doesn't make
0: any sense. Yeah. Um, sticking with the Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury said Hollywood Brown is getting close to a return. He might not play in Week 11 against the Niners, but he would be likely to return after team's Week uh, 13 bye. How are you feeling about Hollywood Brown upon his uh, eventual return? I mean,
1: it's one of those injuries where you're obviously a little worried about it um, being something nagging uh, that's going to reduce his production in the first place, even if he wasn't sharing a field with DeAndre Hopkins and, you know, new slot alpha Rondale Moore. But you can't discount Hollywood Brown. There's something that I've said on the podcast so many times, and it's it's yet to be untrue it's hollywood's led his team and targets in every single phase of his football career whether it be high school or college you know along cd lamb and mark andrews and in baltimore every year except for his rookie season like he's the number one receiver every single year i don't know that that changes unless
0: he's not healthy
1: enough to maintain it
0: yeah um i will see because deandre hopkins is going to give him a run for his money nuke has been uh has been playing Nukes like been prime nuke
1: yeah yeah I mean I do think the odd man out here is Rondale um as much as I love him but that said like they just lost Zach Ertz as
0: well so yeah. there's certainly it's I still mean, they... a three-man weave exactly yeah and uh I have a feeling we're gonna be hearing Rondell Moore's name again at some point for for some reason yeah. I don't I don't know if that's the case <laughs> But uh, Leonard Fournette hip pointer not expected to miss any games um it's a positive for for net but Rashad white was playing a little bit more than fournette even before the injury do Quite you think a bit it's do you think this is a changing of the guard type of thing once they come back from their bye or do you think it's uh fournette's still gonna retain that the lead in that backfield?
1: I mean, one of the things that I did not expect is it was, we were even um, on the Diamonds in the Rough episode on, on the previous Thursday. It was Rashad was my Diamond in the Rough because I felt like you started to see a little bit of that changing of the guard in the week prior, in week nine, um, where he had more rushing opportunities than Fournette for the first time in the season. And closed out uh, two very important drives as the only back getting snaps on the field. So those were just kind of two indicators that I felt like we could see this happening, that it was a bit of foreshadowing. Um, One of the things I didn't expect, as I was saying, is that Rashad White didn't really see any receiving work at
0: all. Yeah. And Fournette
1: maintained that. Yeah. Cause his whole profile is like supercharged James White, right? Um, He's a pass catching back and Fournette maintained his role as a receiver where they handed, you know, 27 carries to Rashad and he, he broke the 100-yard threshold. So, I mean, if, if that's the way they're going to use him, I'm still happy with a, a RB1 v- rushing volume. Um, And I think, injury or not, it it's a definite 50-50 committee and looking like opportunity shares are going to be leaning Rashad's way more and
0: more. <clears throat> to close it out, PJ Walker has been a pretty good story. Um, Over the last several weeks, he is out. He has an ankle sprain, and Baker Mayfield will once again be the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. You think this is a good thing?
1: I mean, it's not good for them because they want to lose games. Like they're, you know, they want Stroud, they want Young. Like it's, there's a reason that you know they put Sam Ellinger in at quarterback for the Colts too. Like teams, some teams are tanking legally. You know, they're just putting in bad players and saying, "Hey, we need to get this guy reps and see what we have."
0: I said Walker was the last part of the news, but I guess we could throw in the fact that Jeff Saturday won his first game. <laughs> yeah, insanity. The That's guy, I mean. the guy said he was shocked that he was even offered the position two weeks ago. He tweeted the Raiders look horrible, and then he goes out and he beats the Raiders as the head coach of a football it proves team, his point with the first time play caller by his side. Some like young thirty year old dude who's like an assistant just i made a joke that he got the job playing a madden tournament yeah maybe who knows <laughs> pretty much <laughs> four verticals and put one of the guys on a drag and go from there but uh yeah pretty wild but that'll be it for the news segment um next up as we all know and love is the we saw that coming part of the podcast where we highlight a couple guys that we saw coming so let's get right into that matt why don't you start us off with your first we saw that coming Oh, well, I mean, it's not a, it's
1: not a big news that it's Rondale Moore. I mean, I've seen it coming for a long time. I've seen it coming since 2018 when Rondale broke out with literally the greatest true freshman breakout in the history of college football when he caught 114 passes for 1,258 yards and 12 touchdowns at 17 years old in the big 10. He's the little slot receiver that could man. I've never really been concerned about his size because he's truly a generational athlete. Um and, and no, I'm not saying generational football player, but the, the the level of athlete that he is like ran, you know, a 4-2 uh benched 20 reps, has a 42 and a half inch vertical. rondell's a special football player and he's starting to show it on the football field. Um on the Thursday pod I scoffed at his ECR and you know put him inside of the top 15 wide receivers, which is as this game goes on, as the Monday night game goes on, he's wide receiver 15 this week. Um That's I cool. did kind of discount him on crunch time a little bit. Um, I thought Colt McCoy obviously wasn't going to be able to feed him the ball and it would be, who's the only quarterback proof, you know, wide receiver on that offense. It's nuke because he's proven it his entire career that he doesn't need a quarterback to be productive. Um, so I did get Rondell a little discount, but he exceeded all of those expectations a career high 13 targets. Catching nine for 94, 18.4 PPR points. And over the last three games, Rondell's averaging 10.3 targets, 8.3 catches, 85 yards, and 18.9 points. Like he's looking really good. And I know that there's going to be like a lot of pushback and, and argument of the whole vacated targets thing. Uh and yeah, we haven't really seen him with all of the members of the Cardinals offense, but we're not going to like Zach Ertz is out for the rest of the season and Hollywood's not back for, I mean, as we just mentioned it, probably three weeks or so. And in between then, who knows what happens? It's a rough game. Like I'm obviously not hoping anything, knock on wood, but if, if Rondale's healthy and in this offense, it has proven that he is going to be productive and it's not just the manufactured targets anymore. His a dot went way up last week and he walked away from that game with one of the best catches that you're going to see this season. And that's saying something considering Justin Jefferson did what he did to the bills that same day, like Rondale caught a one handed over the shoulder behind the defender, turn away two foot tap out of bounds. Like it was incredible. That was Pickens level catch. And people are just ignoring it because it's Rondale Moore. (laughs) like, you know, so they think it's just a, a one play thing. He doesn't have that talent, but he really does, man. And it's obviously something that I've been banging the table for. I've, you know, since he came into the league and since I've been a fantasy analyst, I think Rondell's a special player. And and yeah, I, I don't think he's going to maintain 18.9 points per game. I will taper expectations on that, but I certainly think he's going to maintain fantasy relevance and good production in this offense for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't as in on Rondell Moore as a redraft asset as you were this season. But over the last three weeks, if you have Rondell Moore, you're certainly very happy about that. Uh, my first we saw that coming, Mr. Tony Pollard of the Dallas Cowboys. At this point, Wash rinse, repeat. If he's alone in the backfield, he's getting you twenty plus points, no matter what. Against Green Bay, twenty-two rush attempts, 115 yards, found the end zone, six targets, three catches, thirteen yards, was the workhorse for the for the Cowboys. Like he already has some standalone value with Zeke there. Um, obviously a, a lot lower of a floor in those cases, but when he is alone in that backfield, it's just Locked and loaded top three running back every single time. And uh, at this point, the fact that they're not ready to just make him the lead guy is just, I think, mind boggling to everyone outside of Jerry Jones. But so be it. Like, (laughs) what are you going to do? Shout out. Like I said, Tim is not here, but he did make a list. So shout out to Tim. Um, His first we saw that coming was Justin Fields, who uh, decided he was just going to keep running and running and running and running. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it against the lions
1: too uh, that that was another you know shout out to true matchup rank is is the lions specifically one of their weaknesses uh, as far as fantasy production goes is they are the second like worst team against defending running quarterbacks and if justin fields is going to continuously be in the top 5 single rushing game production for a quarterback in every single week then yeah,
0: yeah.
1: i mean you're going to keep seeing this coming
0: Yeah, I even had Justin Fields as like my QB three or four on the week. And you guys know how I feel about Justin Fields. Matt, (laughs) maybe with your, uh, your second, we saw that coming. I mean, progression, man. Let's go with
1: uh, Kirk and his touchdown regression coming back in, in another big game. It was a, another tier breaker up um, from last week who ascended above his bewildering ECR ranking. Uh, I, I mean, I understand why people use ECR, but when you have Christian Kirk outside of the top 20 in a matchup against the Chiefs, it's just like, what are we even doing here, folks? And, you yeah. know, one of the things that kind of led me to being so in on christian kirk not just for last game but really for the rest of the season is true target value i think one of the things that true target value is specifically phenomenal for is finding positive regression candidates in fantasy football like undervalue players who have a projected spike in scoring coming and i mean he did uh before sunday slate he was the wide receiver eight in true target value but wide receiver 19 in points per game which obviously is where people were leaning so heavily with that ecr and Bold enough to go against the grain and put him inside of the top 10 um, in the Thursday episode. And I mean, right now he's wide receiver three, I think, in points per game this week. Um, Absolutely smashed even my expectations. And, you know, he's a really underrated red zone threat, I think, is what people are kind of ignoring. He's in the top six. He's got 11 red zone targets. And I mean, added to that total. But before the game had 11 red zone targets and you knew it was going to be a sneaky shootout, which I guess it kind of. Didn't really live up, but certainly the benefactors of the offense were who we expected. Uh, He caught nine passes on 12 targets, 105 yards, two touchdowns, 31.5 PPR points. And again, like honorable mention is Trevor Lawrence, man. He's looking like kind of a must-start quarterback, at least against positive defensive matchups, for sure. You have to start Trevor Lawrence when he has game scripts like this against defenses that have positive points over average. He's looked a lot more confident and comfortable after his little mid-season sophomore slump. Uh, Zero turnovers, 259 yards, two touchdowns. Shout out to Boyd for making him the sleeper of the week in the quarterback position. And I mean, I don't know how much longer he's going to be a sleeper or a streamer availability. He's... Inside of the top 12 in points per game now and against matchups like that, where you know that you can just get 25 from them. I mean, especially with the the quarterback parity that we've seen this season, where after the top five, there's like a six point drop off in points per game. Uh, yeah. Trevor Lawrence is essentially a, a must roster, must start player. So his, his roster ship is going to spike for these playoff runs.
0: You know, Christian Kirk even had a, a 40 yard t- possible touchdown that he dropped in the first drive of the game. Thanks could have been an even an even bigger game for Christian Kirk. Could have been a a three touchdown day for him, similar to someone I'm going to be talking about shortly. But before we get into surprise surprise, shout out to Tim. Um George Pickens and Josh Jacobs were his second cuz you know Tim always likes to go with double players and cheat yeah. with the rules a little bit. Um he liked George Pickens this week, he liked Josh Jacobs this week. Both came through. Um if he started him um, with that, moving on to the surprise, surprise section where it is players who we did not see coming and uh, just really surprised us this week. First, I'm going to start it off this time. Um, wait a second. I skipped my own second. We saw that coming.
1: Really? I wow, didn't even I, notice. You I were pulled doing a Tim's, Tim.
0: Uh... I pulled a Tim on myself. That's like that's new. That's that's All something right, well... Tim doesn't even do. <laughs> I
1: mean, we have to keep the spirit of Tim here.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, I'll just say it real quick. Dalton Schultz um, was my we saw that coming. Dalton Schultz was in my buy low sell high article that I wrote two weeks ago um, in week 10. I said he's a completely different player with Dak Prescott. You're going to get a top five tight end the rest of the way. Now that Dak is back and Schultz is healthy. So get him while he's on his bye week and you won't have to worry about the tight end position anymore in a very difficult matchup against green Bay in terms of points per game, true matchup rank and everything, eight targets, six receptions, 54 yards and a touchdown solidified himself as the, uh, the second option in that passing offense. Again, it's not Michael Gallup. It's not Jalen Tolbert. It's it's CD lamb and Dalton Schultz. So, uh, Dalton Schultz was my, we saw that coming because I liked him coming into the week. I liked him rest of season and he certainly, uh, fit that bill um, in week 10. So now, now let's get the surprise surprise yeah, yeah. I I had to go ahead and pull a tim on myself. Yeah, yeah, My first surprise surprise, Nick Westbrook, a of the Tennessee Ooh. Titans. What a day from Mr. hyphenated name Westbrook Akine. This guy <laughs> Eight targets, five receptions, 119 yards and two touchdowns. One of the touchdowns was also just a a beautiful reception in the back corner of the end zone. High difficulty. Probably if you do that, like AWS catch probability thing, it was probably like, I'd say lower than 35% catch probability. percent Yeah, maybe even lower than like, maybe lower than 20% catch probability yeah,
1: i mean it was that was an incredible catch on a not so well thrown ball either i mean i guess it was placed where only he could get it but man he
0: could barely even get it yeah and nick westbrook Akine was zero percent rostered coming into the day in yahoo leagues coming off of uh three straight zeros with three targets through three games but of course malik willis games are don't really count yeah, don't count um, he, was, he was a little <laughs> bit more involved before that but. It's hard to just shrug off eight targets, five for 119 and two against the Denver Broncos, who are the elite defense that you do not want to face this season in terms of true matchup rank for wide receivers and quarterbacks. Oh, yeah. And uh, Ryan Tannehill came back. Ryan Tannehill was slinging it. They were able to contain Derrick Henry. Um, that's that's the real issue for guys like Robert Woods and Nick Westbrook-Akine. If opposing teams cannot contain Derrick Henry, then they're not going to have days Um, If opposing teams are able to contain Derrick Henry, then that opens up the passing game a little bit more. So I don't know how valuable Westbrook-Akine could be going forward, but this was certainly a surprising game and an impressive one at that. Absolutely. Matt, hit me with your first surprise, surprise. Uh, I mean, I was quite surprised.
1: Maybe even a a little bit. Disappointed uh in myself. I um it's Cole Komet is gonna be my first one. I mean, I, I literally said there's no way that Cole Komet maintains a two touchdown scoring ceiling. <laughs> yeah, pretty hard. <hilarious. laughs> and then he yeah, he and then he goes out and you know catches four of seven targets for 74 and two touchdowns. Now, yeah, granted it was against the Lions, who would probably allow a touchdown to me or Mike if we lined up in the slot for 65% of our snaps, but that's kind of beyond the point because he was not just dominating the lines, but he was doing so as the top option in, in the receiving game on the team. Uh, he exceeded Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney. They both played secondary and tertiary roles to commit's team leading slash line. And I mean, I'm not convinced that commit can maintain that type of ridiculous production. But while Fields is actually increasing passing volume, and obviously teams have to now account for the fact that, all right, my coach is letting me, you know, do what I want outside of the pocket and inside of it. Um, and if you don't account for that, I will rush for 200 yards in your head. Um, it's opening up like commits, and yes, it was on blown coverage, but he got it. Like, you know what I mean? The, that coverage is getting blown because of what Justin Fields is, and now he's drawing safeties down into the box because as soon as he starts scrambling, they're accounting for it, which is opening up a lot of space for Cole comet. One of them was on, you know, a 74 yard or almost 70 yard um heave, or <laughs> fields had just drawn everybody outside of coverage and on commit across body so i mean i loved cole commit coming in you know that i did i still you know tip my hat to you and think that you kind of won that battle because his targets have regressed and everything has regressed really uh but over the last two games i mean both of them have finished inside of the top two uh players at their position it, surprise yeah. to me, man. I did not expect Cole Komet even against the Lions to come out and legitimately repeat the
0: 22-point performance that he had the week before. Believe me, I was not expecting that either. <laughs> um, Tim's <laughs> Tim's first surprise, surprise comes from a rookie tight end in Greg Dolchik, who came crashing back down to earth in a game that was good on paper against the Tennessee Titans coming off a bye. Four targets, one catch, 11 yards. I was one who was a little bit more concerned about the Greg Dolchik hype as a every week tight end one. I mean, his first big game, he caught a long touchdown on only two targets. He had a nice game against the Jets and a solid game against Jacksonville as well. I just like I didn't know if we should trust a rookie tight end with Russell Wilson's trash offense. Um, Going forward, the tight end landscape is so bad that I'd probably give Dolchik another shot. but one catch for 11 yards is is really bad um how are you feeling about dulgic going forward
1: i mean i still think it's especially the the dynasty side i still think he's probably cemented himself as the number two behind likely uh, until mcbride makes his debut so he's certainly a viable asset and as you said the way that the tight end landscape is i mean you know so I don't count Taysom Hill, but if you count Taysom Hill, that's seven tight ends um, that Travis Kelsey has doubled their points. And those guys are all in the top 12. There's seven guys in the top 12 that Travis Kelsey has doubled. So the landscape is just bare. you can replace tight end 12 with tight end 20 and be just fine. Um, I still like Dulcich overall, rest of season. Hard to trust anybody. As we said with Jerry Judy earlier, hard to trust anybody
0: on that offense. Yeah. Uh, my second surprise, surprise. Christian Watson of the Green Bay Packers. Look, Jason isn't on the podcast anymore, but he's still in the discord heavily, and he's always still talking about fantasy football and such. This guy in our home league is dealing with injuries and buys, and he picked up and started Christian Watson. And <laughs> Christian Watson sees eight targets, Beautiful. turns that into four catchers, 107 yards and three touchdowns in a huge, huge breakout performance against the Dallas Cowboys, really putting his elite speed on display. He Mm -hmm. was even close to a fourth, like 50-yard touchdown, where he looked back at Aaron Rodgers, didn't realize the ball was in the air, and by the time he tracked it down, he was a step behind it and couldn't catch up to it. If he knew that pass was coming, it would have been another 50-yard touchdown for Christian Watson. Like This guy had an absolute huge day. Left with an injury for a little while, came back and just kept working. Really put his speed on display. We've seen wide receivers in the second half who really did not do much in the first half. We've seen this happen year over year. People forget even Amon Ross St. Brown was a nobody the first half of last season. He was outside like the top 70 wide receivers. Nobody was thinking, I'm going to start Amon Ross St. Brown. And then he absolutely crushed it the second half. I'm not saying Christian Watson is Amon Ross St. Brown or is going to be, but this was the first game where Aaron Rodgers actually showed some life and actually threw downfield and actually came back and won a game that they were down by two touchdowns. Like it was vintage Aaron Rodgers type stuff. And a lot of it looked like
1: Aaron Rodgers of old for sure.
0: Yeah. And a lot of it was due to christian watson and he gets tennessee next week on a short week um great matchup um his week 15 through 17 matchups are glorious as well for the fantasy playoffs. so i'm going to talk about christian watson tomorrow on the uh on the patron only waiver pod so i'm going to shut my mouth a little bit right now but yeah christian watson some surprise of surprise Goodness. yeah hit me with your second and final surprise surprise matt
1: I mean, this this surprise is less about the player uh, and the points that he scored and more about how he scored those points. Kenneth Walker's catching passes and quite literally no one thought that he had that in his arsenal. And I always bring the dynasty perspective on the pod. So especially on the Monday side of, of the podcast. So one of the things that I do as dynasty driven manager and most dynasty driven managers and analysts do is rookie evaluations like prospect scouting and analytic profiles. Now, some seasonal redraft players might not be surprised by walkers receiving numbers but he caught 19 passes in three seasons in college 19 a season with three catches another season with three catches and a season with 16 there's no threshold in anybody's analytical model that he met that would say he is capable of catching passes at a high volume in the nfl And he had more receptions and receiving yards in the Seahawks Week 10 game than he had in his first two seasons at Wake Forest before he transferred to Michigan State. And he was the second. He was second on the team in targets with eight receptions. He had six or uh, eight targets, rather. Um, He had six receptions for 55 receiving yards and six was tied with DK Metcalf for a team lead. He also managed only... 17 yards on 10 carries which is also a huge surprise (laughs) right so it's a double surprise surprise for kenneth walker because as it looks and as it seems, the Seahawks will do whatever it takes to get the ball in that kid's hand. If they're shutting him down in the line of scrimmage and the offensive line can't create space for him to find running holes where he's one of the better pure runners, was always one of the better pure runners um, in the draft class. That was one of the things that obviously had him boosted as high as he was without that pass catching profile is he's a phenomenal runner in space and finding open holes. Um, but when they can't get that for him, they're going to get him targets and they're going to do whatever they can to find that kid touches because he's one of their most productive players. So if he can continue to do that, I mean he was already looking like a bona fide star without it, but it's like imagine Nick Chubb if he gets six targets a game.
0: Yeah, Kenneth Walker has uh all the people who were hyping up Kenneth Walker, um, seems like they were the ones doing it right because he has looked every bit as um uh, every bit as good as the people who thought he'd be good thought he would be, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, you're right. Um, and finally, in surprise, surprise, Tim here went with Kadarius Tony, his little yeah. breakout game for Kansas City. I don't know if it's like super surprising after the uh, there was no Mikko Hardman and Juju got injured. But nonetheless, two rush attempts, 33 rushing yards. So we got involved on the ground, even five targets, four receptions, 57 yards and a touchdown. A little uh, tightrope celebration type thing because he caught a touchdown. He the Patriots were inside the tent. Uh, excuse me. The Chiefs were inside the tent. And somehow Kadarius Tony was left completely alone on the right side of the field. Like he was seven Nobody yards did. away Nobody. from the end zone. And the closest defender was like 20 yards away from him. And he had to, like, keep his feet in, and he just ended up hopping all the way to the end zone. So it was one of those uh, Tim yelled at me earlier in the season when I said Allen Robinson didn't earn his touchdown. It was a gimme touchdown. Like, it wasn't an earned touchdown. It wasn't an earned touchdown for Kadarius Tony. He was just completely wide (laughs) open. Um, But nonetheless, he found the end zone. And if Juju is forced to miss next week, um, I mean... It's going to be might low key be
1: their most efficient rusher to you
0: because that backfield is a mess. Yeah. Talk about uh, I mean, you know, we're going to talk about that backfield later. So I'm going to just uh, stop us right there. (laughs) But with that being said, let's get into the stock up section where we discuss players who you guessed it. Stocks are on the rise. Matt, why don't you start us off with the stock up section here? Who's your first player on the rise? it's Foster Moreau right off the bat. I'll just get right to the name. Market
1: shifts can happen from all sorts of causalities, especially in dynasty. Like there's literally infinite variances and manager, psychologies, biases, everything can affect player values. And as unfortunate as it is, Darren Waller's injury and Hunter Renfro's injury and Foster Moreau's consistent serviceable production in a barren tight end landscape are causing a tangible shift. And Moreau's always been somewhat serviceable when Waller goes down. And he was exactly that again in week 10. He's never been a world beater like tight end one overall, but he caught three passes on four targets for 43 yards, one touchdown, 13.3 PPR points. And obviously if he play tight end premium, which a lot of dynasty leagues are, are circled around, he's a pretty decent rising asset and he's going to become a free agent. And Waller's obviously aging and injured and, you know, four targets isn't a monumental share by any means. The Raiders, but the Raiders only completed passes to five total players. (laughs) And Moreau's stock's going to continue to rise. Like, as long as he's the starter and people are desperate for points, it's a conjuncture of everything. Like, we're at the crunch time of the season, quite literally, where in Dynasty managers need to buy points. And there's going to be a lot of pseudo contenders that are grasping for draws trying to maintain a playoff position. And Foster Moreau kind of fits that bill where. If you're holding on to him, somebody's going to have to pay for him, or you have pretty decent production. So, you know, as somebody that obviously you can find a lot of value in hidden places, Foster's got value outside of this, too. I think he's done enough, like much like a Dan Arnold did before he got hurt again in Carolina, um, but earned a good contract and a starting tight end role there in Carolina and had a lot of spike value on the dynasty market. And it wasn't like turning over first. No, but there's value to be had and his values rising and continuing. And if he puts up another or consistent back to back, you know, low end tight end one performances. I mean, yeah. Foster Moreau is certainly an asset that I think people are going to. And I am certain like, you know, a cheap
0: plug and play starting tight end. That's putting up good numbers. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. there. I've always been a fan of Foster Moreau, um, his athleticism, and he just seems like a pretty solid football player. I actually, we in our my first ever dynasty league with Matt. It's me, Matt, Tim, Jason, our brother Johnny, Boyd is in there. It's a a fun dynasty league. Um, I drafted Foster Moreau late, and I remember Matt telling me that he was a. He was upset with me taking Foster Moreau. It's it's a good pick. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually started him this week. Me and Johnny, actually my brother Johnny, if the OGs remember him being on the podcast every now and then in the beginning. We're in first and second, both eight and one facing each other this week. And talk about a nail biter. I'm up by eight points. Johnny has Sanders, AJ Brown and Terry McLaurin. And I have Curtis Samuel and Dallas Goddard. I'm currently projected wow. to win by half a point, but this second half is going to be a uh, the second That's half is doozy. going to be an interesting one. Yeah, but away from the uh, the personal side of things, <laughs> my first stock up here, Colts players generally. I'm pulling a Tim here with a uh, with Matt Ryan back under center, not because of Jeff Saturday, um, but because of Matt Ryan back under center and not Sam Ellinger. Matt Ryan was producing fantasy relevant players this season. Um, I think everyone knew right when Sam Ellinger was named the starting quarterback, like, damn, this spells bad news for everyone. And Matt Ryan stepped in and the offense looked way better. I mean, they beat the Las Vegas Raiders, despite, um, Jeff Saturday's coaching debut, Michael Pittman didn't have a huge game, but he did see nine targets right back up there. That's the, um, that's the most he saw with Sam Ellinger. So it's nice to see him get those targets seven for 53 on those targets, um, Jonathan Taylor ran crazy looking like the JT of last year, looking completely healthy and someone who I know if you drafted him, he's been a, a bust for your team, but could be a huge league winning type of player um, if he returns to form and he looks like he did this past week against Las Vegas. It was a great matchup. So it's, let's see how it looks going forward. And then Paris Campbell came back to life, who has been solid this season when Matt Ryan is the quarterback. Uh, nine targets, seven catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown. So, stock up for Michael Pittman, uh, JT, Paris Campbell, even Alec Pierce. He didn't catch a pass this past week, but everyone on that team, even, even Kylan Granson had a, uh, had a nice game out of the tight end position. It's just a huge boost for everyone with Matt Ryan back on their center and not Sam Ellinger. Um, Tim's first stock up. We already discussed this, so we don't really have to get into it. It was Rashard White. Uh, we discussed the Fournette and White backfield, in pretty in depth already during the uh, the new segment. So, Matt, why don't you hit me with your second stock up?
1: Uh yeah, man. Especially in dynasty circles, it, it's. Deontay Foreman, uh, especially for contenders, actually, now that we're talking about it, because that price that he is on the dynasty market is just not matching the production that he's putting up over replacement. And, And I understand that there's a lot of anchoring bias here, but Deontay Foreman's just bull smash his way through opposing defenders ever since the Panthers shipped Christian McCaffrey out to the Bay Area. He's rushed over 100 yards in three of his last four contests. He took 31 attempts for 130 and one touchdown in Week 10. He's shouldering an RB1 look workload and opportunity share, and he's putting up RB1 numbers. And my fellow dynasty degenerate Boyd uh, and I were talking about Foreman being you know, a contending rosters dream target, as I was kind of saying. There there's so much negative surrounding Foreman in his past injury history and the downfall of the Panthers franchise, but points are points. And Foreman's putting up points in bunches. He ranks inside the top 12 of options in points per game since he became the starting running back. And is universally cost equivalent to a third round draft pick, give or take like a fourth on either side. It's just the perfect price. If you need to, somebody in the flex, if you need an RB two, if you're dealing with injuries, Cooper cup just went down, give a third for Deontay Foreman. And that's, you know, yeah, that's still stock up because after one big game, two big games, you couldn't trade them at all. I, I put him on trade blocks, you know, for rebuilding teams and everybody was like, ah, oh, it's just one. It's just two like that. He is an asset that, by the time people realize how many league winning rosters he's on, it's going to be far too late to pay the cost of what he is. And, you know, it might be more of a, obviously a production over value thing, but again, we're at the crunch time in the season and he's putting up numbers that you can't find anywhere else, especially for his cost.
0: Yeah, I, I'll telling you, I'm one of the, uh, I've never been a Deontay Foreman guy. So I guess I'm one of the guys on the side of caution here. But at some point it's like, when do we just say this is the reality, right? Cause like, like you said, right. That's kind of what I mean. Yeah. (laughs) Three games of being an RB one of four, even the game against Cincy. It's not like he was bad. It's just that he was game scripted out. Like he had 30, he had 23 rushing, 23 rushing yards on seven rush attempts, like whatever it's, it, this happens to even the best running backs in the league. Like Derek Henry got like phased out in this past week against Denver because he couldn't get it going. Other than that, I mean, Deontay Foreman has rushed for 118 yards or more in three different games, 31 rush attempts, even with Chuba Hubbard back this past week against Atlanta in my home league. I'm likely going to lose by the difference of Cordero Patterson and Deontay Foreman because I started Patterson over him in the Thursday night game, which is unfortunate. Um, But what are you going to do? Yeah, it's I'm with you. It's at some point you just have to say, I guess this is where we're at in the 2022 NFL season. And this is
1: what the cost is. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah, Maybe Deontay Foreman actually can be a uh, league helping uh, asset top 20 running back rest of season. Because if he's getting this much work, it's going to be tough not to trust him. Uh, My second my second stock up comes from a wide receiver on a bad team who just had a little bit of a mini breakout. And that's Nico Collins of the Houston Texans. I'm not a huge Nico Collins guy, but the remaining schedule for the Houston Texans is absolutely glorious from a passing perspective. They get Washington, Miami, Cleveland, Dallas, KC, Tennessee and Jacksonville rest of season. There is not even a single bad matchup mix in there. The bad matchups that you might think are tough: Dallas, maybe Trayvon Diggs, Miami, Saving Howard, Brandon Cooks is on the team, folks. Let's not forget that. And Brandon Cooks, as we know, he is not really the the guy there anymore. Like the, he he doesn't want to be there. He made that clear. He missed a game mentally against Philly because he didn't want to be there, and he wasn't traded. He did come back and play seven targets, four catches, and 37 yards. But I think it's better for Nico Collins that Brandon Cooks is there because he doesn't have to face the uh, the A1 defenders. Ten targets, which you can't scoff at, five for 49 in the touchdown. I think he's a interesting player going forward, and he's not someone I've really been interested this season. Um, but that type of target share, um, that amount of targets, the the, the touchdown, it's... The schedule coming up. I think Nico Collins has some uh, some appeal moving forward. I agree. Yeah. Tim second stock up Chris Godwin of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Guess who finally found the end zone? Ding ding ding. Chris Godwin. Six catches, 71 yards, and a touchdown. Shockingly, or not so shockingly, um, his first game of the season over 12 and a half half PPR fantasy points. It's wow. been that type of season for Chris Godwin. That was his first touchdown on the year. He's been getting the targets. He just hasn't really done much with them. It was nice to see in a difficult matchup. The Seattle Seahawks don't have the most, you know, the most notable names on their defense or their quarterbacks. Tariq Woolen has been balling out, but they've yeah, been a very incredible. Yeah, they've been a very difficult matchup for opposing wide receivers this season from a fantasy perspective. So it was nice to see Chris Godwin have a uh, mini type of breakout game, excuse me, with the hiccup there. Now heading into the bye um, and then he has a, you know, mediocre schedule moving forward. But, you know, if he uh, if he's able to pick it up from this week moving forward, because you, you were talking about touchdown regression, I think touchdown regression is certainly a possibility for Chris Godwin because he's seeing a ton of targets. And like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady looked a little bit more like Tom Brady in Germany. Maybe he just needed to leave the country to start uh finding himself again. But <laughs> yeah, Chris another Godwin, another German model. Yeah, <laughs> Chris Godwin's stock up for Tim, and I, I think that's it for stock up, right? You gave Fair. both of your guys. Indeed. Which means the sadness. Ended, that's right. We end it negatively, as always, going into the stock down players who are on the decline. I'm gonna start it off here. Uh, my first stock down: Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who completely and utterly just lost his job entirely he played six percent of snaps against the jaguars he saw zero rush attempts and two targets for zero yards he did not catch a pass he did not touch the nfl pigskin a single time in a game where he was active and healthy just absurd isaiah pacheco lost a fumble early in the game, and that did not matter to Andy Reid. Pacheco had his career high in rush attempts and was the main guy in that backfield rushing, and Jarek McKinnon started uh, mixing in pass catching again. Jarek McKinnon seems to be the guy they trust more in high leverage situations, but nonetheless, CEH, you're out of here. I was watching the game, and I was like, dude, am I bugging, or has CEH just not touched the field? And yeah, turns out I was right. He just basically did not touch the field. Yeah, so CEH after... Look, I know he had a high touchdown. Like, in the beginning of the year, the touchdowns were buoying his fantasy value. But even then, like, when everyone was calling him a sell high, I agreed. But even then, I didn't think week 10, he just wouldn't get a single touch. It's like, he's probably... It's
1: actually one of the craziest declines I've seen in recent memory, at least in season, because he had such yeah. good, like, <clears throat> even if you're watching games, the yeah, other few mistakes to be had, but the way they're utilizing to in the end zone and all of his red zone work that he was getting and like the, the route tree that they were designing for him, you would have never expected that eight games before the season ended, he would not have a job at all.
0: Yeah. And it's not like he was like playing horrifically or anything. He had no. double digit fantasy points each of the first four weeks of the season, then single digits four straight weeks, and then it all came crashing down to zero against Jacksonville. At this point he's he's a cut candidate too, right? Like this backfield was disgusting yep. enough as is, but and his dynasty value must just be who shooting down at the moment as well. Right? I mean but.
1: yeah you you're not gonna speaking of thirds like you'd be lucky to get one for <laughs> Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> All right, Matt, hit me with your first stock down. It's sad. It's sad.
1: And it, it's just what they're doing the franchise, but the lines of DeAndre Swift bubble wrapped and he's bubble wrapped for whatever new shiny quarterback they want to bring in for him to play with in 2023 but the 2022 lions no they're not allowed to play with deandre swift he's far too valuable and fragile for the 2022 lions to be able to play with him i guess and i i mean i've talked about the value apex of the running back position and like the the facade of value insulation that literally any active running back in the NFL has. I think saying that, you know, Deontay Foreman and Clyde edwards helaire are essentially equal assets now kind of gives you a little insight into that. Uh, it's something I also touched on towards the end of the crunch time stream this patch week, uh, which obviously you guys should tune into every Sunday at 1030 Eastern on youtube.com slash proto <laughs> uh, but basically the running back position is just the most volatile position as far as any value is concerned in dynasty. And the influx of the upcoming 2023 class makes that volatile volatility even stronger. It's not even so much the talent of the class per se, which is great. Like the talent of the 2023 class is amazing. Don't get me wrong, but it's the minimal shelf life of everybody that's already in the NFL and the age cliff that's coming with all of these, you know, preseason valued RB ones are now, dropping off massively. And if they're not dropping off, they're reaching a point where you can expect a major drop off. Now, I realize Swift doesn't really meet that age criteria, but his value is drastically declining because they're not playing him. So you don't have anything to hinge that value on come the 2023 offseason when there's arguably five new running backs that can make an argument for a top 15 positional asset. So the strongest assets always fit every single roster build. Well, Swift no longer fits contending rosters because he's not putting up any numbers. His value is all in assumption that eventually they're going to give him the workload that his talent demands. But he played just 10 snaps in week nine. 19 snaps in week 10 while just Jamal Williams and Justin Jackson steal major opportunities. Like I think Swift's talent and potential are undeniable, but managers and the market are growing increasingly impatient, waiting for the lions to entrust him with an opportunity share. That's actually going to give us anything.
0: Yeah. Uh, that was my issue with DeAndre Swift coming into the season as well. Like, I mean, after his big week one, the yeah DeAndre Swift RB one I told you people were out and about everywhere like RB overall one and that uh that has not been not been uh good because and even like, in shared time
1: Jamal's outscored him in points per game yeah. like in those four you know so
0: that's why I was I wasn't a big fan of Swift at redraft ADP either you had to pay a top fifteen selection for a projection when it's that high in the uh or that early in the draft I. I'm not a huge fan of taking guys who are just straight up projections, uh, unless you could really project like a huge, huge workload. But yeah, I agree with you. DeAndre Swift is certainly on decline. Like how do you even trust this guy week to week at this point? It's, it's tough. Um, Tim's first stock down was Chris Olave. Um, After a poor week against Pittsburgh, five targets, only three receptions for 40 yards, despite the great matchup. He now has single digits in two of his last three performances, I don't know if I completely agree with this here. Thankfully, because neither do I. Yeah, I don't think so. his stock's really down. I
1: think, I think it's, you know, yeah, a little bit of a rookie slump maybe. And and obviously, you know, I think Dalton's stock is down the most. Um, but Chris yeah, Olave Jameis, is going to maintain a, a ridiculous target share on that offense.
0: I think if Jameis comes back, that's certainly a good thing for Chris Olave. Um, my second and final stock down. <clears throat> this one hurts because I, I like the guy and he just, he's a good player, but he just has not been who we want him to be this season. And that is Debo Samuel. Four rush attempts and 27 yards against the Chargers, six targets, two catches for 24 yards, 6.1 half PPR fantasy points. He didn't play against the Rams with an injury. He scored 6.9 against KC. He has one game this season. One, we're heading into week 11, over 12 and a half half PBR fantasy points. Like, it's, it's disappointing, of course. Only 34 receptions on the entire season, 28 rush attempts. He almost has as many rush attempts as he does receptions on the season. Like, that's just bananas. Last year, he had 59 rush attempts and 121 targets, 77 receptions. Like, it's just, it's different here with Debo now, man, with CMC. Um, joining the team. Brandon Ayuk has been more involved of late. George Kittle, like it's up. You know, Elijah I, Mitchell's I, healthy. Yeah, I made a note that I wanted to discuss this, even though it wasn't in any of our um any of our selections. Christian McCaffrey and. Elijah Mitchell, as you just mentioned, a little surprised, you know, Christian McCaffrey 14 rush attempts. He found the end zone, caught four balls. So he was still a very solid fantasy asset. 15.7 half PPR fantasy points on the week. But Elijah Mitchell, 18 rush attempts, 89 rushing yards, ran two more times than CMC. Kyle Shanahan, after the game, said they wanted to have about an even split between the two. How do you feel about uh, about this backfield?
1: I mean, I don't... It was something that we all talked about kind of when the trade first happened, is I think the value of CMC's touches remain the same because look, look, he found the end zone and he's still getting that pass catching work. And obviously he's explosive and crafty, so he can find major yardage on minimal volume, but it's not going to be the opportunity share that he was receiving in the in Carolina um for the Panthers. And I think that we saw that. Kyle Shanahan likes to run his offense that way. Now, what does that mean for him moving forward it's going to be a little more volatile than the cmc of past days but he's still uh locked and loaded rb1
0: yeah well it seems like elijah mitchell might have some flex appeal
1: oh for sure
0: yeah (laughs) yeah with that being said debo was my stock down back to the uh (laughs) to focusing on what the segment is supposed to be matt hit me with your second and final stock down
1: and you can't keep waiting for it it's deontay johnson i mean i don't think we can wait any longer at all before we admit yeah. that deontay is just not going to return wide receiver one relevance anytime soon and like this is after a pretty decent game uh and what has been an absolutely disastrous downfall of a season for him he caught four passes for 63 yards and five targets like that's fine but it's not good and it's certainly not great can he put pickett just looks woefully incompetent on nearly every drop back. And sure, yeah, he got the win against my favorite team. He beat the Saints, but the kid completed 18 of 30 passes for 199 yards and had no touchdowns. That's just what it takes to beat New Orleans these days. (laughs) That simply is not the type of production that's going to support a top-end fantasy wide receiver, let alone, I mean, really any position on the offense for that matter. I'd honestly be surprised if you could trade Deontay Johnson for somebody that we mentioned earlier, for like Christian Kirk. I don't think you could trade, make that trade straight up on today's market. And I wouldn't blame anyone for preferring Kirk, because I certainly do but if you would have offered that trade in the off season, you would have been laughed out of the room. Like Deontay <laughs> was a top 12 at positional asset. Uh, I it's a massive stock down. He's <clears throat> definitely outside of the top 24 wide receivers in market consensus now. And like, it's not looking any better in any time in the future. I don't see the upside for him this season. And by the team, by that time in the 2023 like season rolls around and you can expect maybe, okay, like there's some narratives that are going to push his value up because certainly this season's production isn't going to, but that's also the time that the draft class hits and there's a lot of other options that are going to seismically push everyone's value all over the place. And again, because the production isn't attached I don't think he can maintain those seismic shifts and like when you look at the roster up and down too from a contract standpoint he's the only one that's extended on a lengthy deal uh, they got a good discount for him at least as far as the market was concerned at the time that they paid him but then it's Kenny Pickett rookie contract Najee Harris rookie contract Pat Fryermouth rookie contract George Pickens rookie contract in a disastrous offensive line that they cannot fix in one draft class so that's what the offense is going to look like next year too
0: yeah, everything you just said, straight facts, homie. Straight facts. Um, ending it off here with Tim's second stock down. Cordell Patterson, just five rush attempts for 18 yards, one target, one catch for two yards, for a whopping two and a half half PPR points in Week 10 in a great matchup against Carolina. The only, the only, I guess, pushback I have on this stock down. Is that Patterson returned from the IR in Week Nine and then was asked to play in a short week in Week Ten? I think maybe we should That's have a good looked. Narrative. I think maybe we should have looked a little bit more into that being the case. Um, thinking back I on it, ignored it. I yeah. Thinking back on it, Deontay Foreman probably would have been a better play over Patterson um, for me personally. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Cordell Patterson. Obviously, he was out snapped and out touched by. Tyler Algier, which is not ideal, gets another very, very good matchup this, uh, this coming week against Chicago bears who are a run, a run against type of team. Um, yeah, so I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him another shot. Cordell Patterson, but yeah, if, if this trend continues, I, I could definitely see him being a, a stock down candidate even further. So for sure. And that is the show folks. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Matt okay. at PsychWordFF, FF right next yep. to me in this little screen that you guys can't see. I'm at Brodo Mike. Tim is at Brodo Tim. Jay is at Brodo Jason. Cass is at Brodo Casanova at Brodo fantasy at FF by Brodo. Download the fantasy football by Brodo app. Join patreon.com slash Brodo fantasy for a bunch of perks like, um, the waiver wire episode, which you can get tomorrow. Um, I discuss players on the fantasy pros list, players not on the fantasy pros list, amounts to spend and things of that sort. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. Have a great week eleven and uh I'll see you on Thursday. Have later. Been.